The Old Curiosity Shop, Chapter Twenty Six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Brad Philippone. The Old Curiosity Shop by Charles Dickens, Chapter Twenty Six. Almost broken-hearted, Nell withdrew with the schoolmaster from the bedside and returned to his cottage. In the midst of her grief and tears, she was yet careful to conceal their real cause from the old man, for the dead boy had been a grandchild and left but one aged relative to mourn his premature decay. She stole away to bed as quickly as she could, and when she was alone gave free vent to the sorrow with which her breast was overcharged. But the sad scene she had witnessed was not without its lesson of content and gratitude, of content with the lot which had left her health and freedom, and gratitude that she was spared the one relative and friend she loved, and to live and move in a beautiful world where so many young creatures, as young and full of hope as she, were stricken down and gathered to their graves, how many of the mounds in that old churchyard where she had lately strayed grew green above the graves of children. And though she thought as a child herself, and did not perhaps sufficiently consider to what a bright and happy existence those who die young are born, and how in death they lose the pain of seeing others die around them, bearing to the tomb some strong affection of their hearts, which makes the old die many times in one long life, still she thought wisely enough to draw a plain and easy moral from what she had seen that night, and to store it deep in her mind. Her dreams were of the little scholar, not coffined and covered up, but mingling with angels and smiling happily. The sun, darting his cheerful rays into the room, awoke her, and now there remained but to take leave of the poor schoolmaster and wander forth once more. By the time they were ready to depart, school had begun. In the darkened room the din of yesterday was going on again, a little sobered and softened down, perhaps, but only a very little, if at all. The schoolmaster rose from his desk and walked with them to the gate. It was with a trembling and reluctant hand that the child held out to him the money which the lady had given her at the races for her flowers, faltering in her thanks as she thought how small the sum was, and blushing as she offered it. But he bade her pick it up, and, stooping to kiss her cheek, turned back into his house. They had not gone half a dozen paces when he was at the door again. The old man retraced his steps to shake hands, and the child did the same. "'Good fortune and happiness go with you,' said the poor schoolmaster. "'I am quite a solitary man now. "'If you ever pass this way again, you'll not forget the little village school.' "'We shall never forget it, sir,' rejoined Nell, "'nor ever forget to be grateful to you for your kindness to us.' "'I have heard such words from the lips of children very often,' said the schoolmaster, shaking his head and smiling thoughtfully. "'But they were soon forgotten.' I had attached one young friend to me, the better friend for being young, but that's over. God bless you." They bade him farewell very many times, and turned away, walking slowly and often looking back, until they could see him no more. At length they had left the village far behind, and even lost sight of the smoke among the trees. They trudged onward now, at a quicker pace, resolving to keep the main road and go wherever it might lead them. But main roads stretch a long, long way, 
with the exception of two or three inconsiderable clusters of cottages which they passed without stopping and one lonely roadside public-house where they had some bread and cheese this highway had led them to nothing late in the afternoon and still lengthened out far in the distance the same dull tedious winding course that they had been pursuing all day as they had no resource however but to go forward they still kept on though at a much slower pace being very weary and fatigued the afternoon had worn away into a beautiful evening when they arrived at a point where the road made a sharp turn and struck across a common on the border of this common and close to the hedge which divided it from the cultivated fields a caravan was drawn up to rest upon which by reason of its situation they came so suddenly that they could not have avoided it if they would it was not a shabby dingy dusty cart but a smart little house upon wheels with white dimity curtains festering the windows and window-shutters of green picked out with panels of a staring red in which happily contrasted colours the whole concern shone brilliant neither was it a poor caravan drawn by a single donkey or emaciated horse for a pair of horses in pretty good condition were released from the shafts and grazing on the frowsy grass neither was it a gipsy caravan for at the open door graced with a bright brass knocker sat a christian lady stout and comfortable to look upon who wore a large bonnet trembling with bows and that it was not an unprovided or destitute caravan was clear from this lady's occupation which was the very pleasant and refreshing one of taking tea the tea-things including a bottle of rather suspicious character and a cold knuckle of ham were set forth upon a drum covered with a white napkin and there as if at the most convenient round-table at the world sat this roving lady taking her tea and enjoying the prospect it happened that at that moment the lady of the caravan had her cup which that everything about her might be of a stout and comfortable kind was a breakfast cup to her lips and that having her eyes lifted to the sky in her enjoyment of the full flavour of the tea not unmingled possibly with just the slightest dash or gleam of something out of the suspicious bottle but this is mere speculation and not a distinct matter of history it happened that being thus agreeably engaged she did not see the travellers when they first came up it was not until she was in the act of getting down the cup and drawing a long breath after the exertion of causing its contents to disappear that the lady of the caravan beheld an old man and a young child walking slowly by and glancing at her proceedings with eyes of modest but hungry admiration hey cried the lady of the caravan scooping the crumbs out of her lap and swallowing the same before wiping her lips yes to be sure who won the helter-skelter plate child won what ma'am asked nell the helter-skelter plate at the races child the plate that was run for on the second day on the second day ma'am second day yes second day repeated the lady with an air of impatience can't you say who won the helter-skelter plate when you're asked the question civilly i don't know ma'am don't know repeated the lady of the caravan why you were there i saw you with my own eyes nell was not a little alarmed to hear this supposing that the lady might be intimately acquainted with the firm of short and codlin but what followed tended to reassure her and very sorry i was said the lady of the caravan 
to see you in company with a punch a low practical vulgar wretch that people should scorn to look at i was not there by choice returned the child we didn't know our way and the two men were very kind to us and let us travel with them do you do you know them ma'am know em child cried the lady of the caravan in a sort of shriek know them but you're young and inexperienced and that's your excuse for asking such a question do i look as if i knowed him does the caravan look as if it knowed them no ma'am no said the child fearing she had committed some grievous fault i beg your pardon it was granted immediately though the lady still appeared much ruffled and discomposed by the degrading supposition the child then explained that they had left the races on the first day and were travelling to the next town on that road where they purposed to spend the night as the countenance of the stout lady began to clear up she ventured to inquire how far it was the reply which the stout lady did not come to until she had thoroughly explained that she went to the races on the first day in a gig and as an expedition of pleasure and that her presence there had no connection with any matters of business or profit was that the town was eight miles off this discouraging information a little dashed the child who could scarcely repress a tear as she glanced along the darkening road her grandfather made no complaint but he sighed heavily as he leaned upon his staff and vainly tried to pierce the dusty distance the lady of the caravan was in the act of gathering her tea equipage together preparatory to clearing the table but noting the child's anxious manner she hesitated and stopped the child curtsied thanked her for her information and giving her hand to the old man had already got some fifty yards or so away when the lady of the caravan called to her to return come nearer nearer still said she beckoning her to ascend the steps are you hungry child not very but we are tired and it's it is a long way well hungry or not you had better have some tea rejoined her new acquaintance i suppose you are agreeable to that old gentleman the grandfather humbly pulled off his hat and thanked her the lady of the caravan then bade him come up the steps likewise but the drum proving an inconvenient table for two they descended again and sat upon the grass where she handed down to them the tea-tray the bread and butter the knuckle of ham and in short everything of which she had partaken herself except the bottle which she had already embraced an opportunity of slipping into her pocket set em out near the hind wheels child that's the best place said their friend superintending the arrangements from above now hand up the teapot for a little more hot water and a pinch of fresh tea and then both of you eat and drink as much as you can and don't spare anything that's all i ask of you they might perhaps have carried out the lady's wish if it had been less freely expressed or even if it had not been expressed at all but as this direction relieved them from any shadow of delicacy or uneasiness they made a hearty meal and enjoyed it to the utmost while they were thus engaged the lady of the caravan alighted on the earth and with her hands clasped behind her and her large bonnet trembling excessively walked up and down in a measured tread and very stately manner surveying the caravan from time to time with an air of calm delight and deriving particular gratification from the red panels and the brass knocker when she had taken this gentle exercise for some time she sat down upon the steps and called george 
whereupon a man in a carter's frock, who had been so shrouded in a hedge up to this time as to see everything that passed, without being seen himself, parted the twigs that concealed him, and appeared in a sitting attitude supporting on his legs a baking-dish and a half-gallon stone bottle, and bearing in his right hand a knife and in his left a fork. "'Yes, missus,' said George. "'How do you find the cold pie, George?' "'It warn't amiss, mum.' "'And the beer,' said the lady of the caravan, with an appearance of being more interested in this question than the last. "'Is it passable, George?' "'It's more flatterer than it might be,' George returned. "'But it ain't so bad for all that.' To set the mind of his mistress at rest, he took a sip, amounting in quantity to a pint or thereabouts, from the stone bottle, and then smacked his lips, winked his eye, and nodded his head. No doubt with the same amiable desire, he immediately resumed his knife and fork as a practical assurance that the beer had wrought no bad effect upon his appetite. The lady of the caravan looked on approvingly for some time, and then said, "'Have you nearly finished?' "'Wery nigh, mum.' and indeed after scraping the dish all round with his knife and carrying the choice brown morsels to his mouth and after taking such a scientific pull at the stone bottle that by degrees almost imperceptible to the sight his head went further and further back until he lay nearly at his full length upon the ground this gentleman declared himself quite disengaged and came forth from his retreat "'I hope I haven't hurried you, George,' said his mistress, who appeared to have a great sympathy with his late pursuit. "'If you have,' returned the follower, wisely reserving himself for any favourable contingency that might occur, "'we must make up for it next time, that's all. "'We are not a heavy load, George.' "'That's always what the ladies say,' replied the man, looking a long way round, as if he were appealing to nature in general against such monstrous propositions. "'If you see a woman a-driving, you'll always perceive that she never will keep her whip still. The horse can't go fast enough for her. If cattle have got their proper load, you never can persuade a woman that they'll not bear something more. What is the cause of this here?' "'Would these two travellers make much difference to the horses if we took them with us?' asked his mistress, offering no reply to the philosophical inquiry, and pointing to Nell and the old man, who were painfully preparing to resume their journey on foot. "'They'd make a difference in course,' said George, doggedly. "'Would they make much difference?' repeated his mistress. "'They can't be very heavy.' "'The weight of the pair, mum,' said George, eyeing them with the look of a man who was calculating within half an ounce or so, "'would be a trifle under that of Oliver Cromwell.' Nell was very much surprised that the man should be so accurately acquainted with the weight of one whom she had read of in books, as having lived considerably before their time but speedily forgot the subject in the joy of hearing that they were to go forward in the caravan, for which she thanked its lady with unaffected earnestness. She helped with great readiness and alacrity to put away the tea-things and other matters that were lying about, and the horses, being by that time harnessed, mounted into the vehicle, followed by her delighted grandfather. Their patroness then shut the door and sat herself down by her drum at an open window, and the steps being struck by George and stowed under the carriage, away they went with a great noise of flapping and creasing and straining, and the bright brass knocker, which nobody ever knocked at, knocking one perpetual double knock of its own accord as they jolted heavily along. End of chapter 26